0: You're listening to U.S. Defense Watch Radio on the front lines of truth and liberty. And it's noon in sunny Southern California, continuing to be cold and blustery here. If you call cold, 45 degrees last night. I grew up in Chicago, but let me tell you, after 20 years here, 45 felt like ice station zebra. It was so bad. And I know anybody listening from the East Coast or the Midwest is laughing at me right now. Today's subject on U.S. Defense Watch Radio, and this is Ray Starman, your host, is the rise and fall of the U.S. Army. We're going to talk about how the Army rebuilt itself coming out of the tragedy of Southeast Asia and how it rebuilt into the spectacular force, that one desert storm 20 years later, only to fall to its present status today. Let's talk about some news as we always do on the first few minutes here of US Defense Watch Radio. There's a headline. There's no other news yet to uh, San Francisco Christmas terror attack thwarted. Stay tuned for that. Drudge is covering that right now. Uh, That's sort of breaking news, so stay tuned for more information on that. Again, San Francisco Christmas terror attack thwarted. I wonder who could be behind that. Uh, Could it be the Red Army Faction or IRA? No, no. I wonder who it could be. Maybe their group starts with an I and ends with an S. I wonder who that could be. And then you know the uh, the other speaking of terrorist attacks you you anybody following the news the last couple of days I know it's been busy with Christmas shopping Santa Claus is only about 72 hours away from arriving but there was a uh, an attack in Australia actually at first the uh, Australian government police were saying that this guy who uh, hit you know I don't know it was 30 35 people uh, injured a bunch of people down in Australia. They said hey, he was just a he was a, a person with mental problems. He was problem. There's no ties to terrorism today. Yes, there are possibly ties to terrorism. And surprise, surprise, he's from Afghanistan. What a shocker! There. It's always the same thing with these politically correct governments. Whether it's Australia, Britain, France, the buffoons who run Germany now, the complete morons who run Sweden whatever, whatever country it is in Western Europe, I'm saying Western Europe because Eastern Europe still has brains left. It's always the same. Anytime there's a terrorist attack, everybody in the world with a brain knows it's a Muslim who's done it. As Colonel Ralph Peters said a couple months ago on Fox News, you know, um, not all Muslims are terrorists, but almost every terrorist act now in the world is done by a Muslim. So but but yet these governments they, they they can't admit it they they play this ridiculous game you know like we're supposed to believe that maybe it was Chip Wadsworth, uh, you know your your local uh, uh, eighth grade history teacher at the country day school in Canaan, Connecticut Chip got in the car and ran down all the people in Manhattan no no it wasn't Chip uh, it was another guy from the Middle East what a shocker what a shocker here's some other news here. The Rasmussen poll, the latest one, Rasmussen's accurate. Usually it's a right-wing poll for President Trump, 44%. I'm telling you, once, these, once the economy kicks even more, it's going to go higher. It's just going to keep going. And I'm predicting right now that 2018 could be another blowout for the Republicans. You heard it here. You might disagree with me, but it's going to happen. And, you know, I was looking at a picture of, um, on the Internet this morning of a young Donald Trump Meeting, well, I guess he was in his 40s, meeting Ronald Reagan um, during Reagan's first uh, year in office. And, you know, Reagan was under assault by the left. Imagine if the left would have had all the tools, their diabolical tools that they have now in their little diabolical evil toolkits social media, Twitter, whatever, Facebook, you know, their internet internet sites to, to trash Ronald Reagan. They were all over him. You know, he was, he was a maniac. He was a gunfighter. He was the cowboy. He was going to start us in a nuclear war. Remember that movie the day after with Jason Robards, that was a a big left wing thing that was supposed to scare everybody that Reagan was going to push the button, you know, and actually uh, I don't know if most people know this, but Reagan's administration and uh, it was actually General Case or not General Casey, William Casey, and the CIA was behind this too. <laughs> he was a tricky guy, but they actually created this sort of persona around Reagan that you know just push him a little too far, and Iran is not going to exist. Russia, don't don't mess with this guy. Libya, you know what's going to happen to you, Colonel Gaddafi You're going to wake up and watch a laser guided bomb go right through your tent. Don't push him, and it, it actually worked because if for the most part, Ronald Reagan. You know, he, he he did not want to use force. It was all a big bluff to bring down the Soviet Union, to bankrupt them, and to have the world believe that this guy was a complete badass. When Reagan was really a peacemaker, but he had a lot of allies too at the time: John Paul II, and Margaret Thatcher. Uh, if Theresa May would have been prime minister in England during the Cold War, uh, England, you know, would be a Sov- would have been a Soviet uh, province there in the 80s. Theresa May is no. Iron lady, I call her the Tin Lady. Let's take a look at some more news here on US Defense Watch Radio before we get into our main topic, the rise and fall of the US Army. It's a good show, I think. Uh, oh, here's one of my least favorite people on the face of the earth, Meryl Streep. Her brand is under threat of the Weinstein denial. You know, I, I'm sorry, but I think I always thought Meryl was overrated. She's not enough person to people that have been around her. And you know she she's covered for you know she you know you've heard the the clips where she's talking about oh you know oh, you know Roman Polanski what a great guy yeah what a great guy you know drugging teenage girls and uh, you know raping them he's he's a good guy but Meryl loves Roman Polanski and she loves Harvey you know R- Meryl just needs to retire can't Hollywood find anybody else for these roles why is Meryl Streep in everything everything she playing Catherine Graham she's in you know Mamma Mia, she's in this, she's in that, she's in everything. People are tired of seeing her, but yet she's still around. She's like a, you know, like a Hollywood cancer. Top Marine General is in red on the Dredge Report. There's a war coming. Well, uh, it may be possible, and you better hope that all our technology wins the day against North Korea, because obviously that's what he's talking about, because uh, the military in its present state um, – leaves a lot to be desired when we come back on u.s defense watch after this short break talking about the rise and fall of the u.s army from the jungles of vietnam and how the army was rebuilt in the pentagon to its spectacular victory in operation desert storm to its gradual decay and fall into its state today when we come back on u.s defense watch radio this is ray starman back on u.s defense watch radio this is ray starman a couple of notes on those themes that was the one i just played was the theme to the 1969 movie too late the hero uh one of my favorites uh with henry fonda cliff robertson and michael cain and i hadn't seen that movie in a long time i watched it about a month ago and uh for the most part it's good it gets a little hokey at the end when the japanese guy somehow finds a way to uh rig up uh, a bunch of speakers and a microphone and out in the jungle. But besides that, it's a cool movie. The cinematography is cool. The soundtrack by Gerald Freed is great, I think. And uh, with Michael Caine and Cliff Robertson and, and Henry Fonda's small part at the beginning, you can't go wrong there. The first uh, theme I played right after uh, the U.S. Defense Watch Open music was uh, from Elmer Bernstein's, also in 1969, a good year for war movies, from the Bridge at Remagen, another classic, the Bridge at Remagen. And what kind of initiative did the Army have in 1945 when they – when those guys, I believe it was from the 9th Armored Division, those grunts, took the bridge at Remagen? Uh, I'm not sure the Army has that kind of initiative now. Uh, if the uh, Army leaders saw a empty bridge or basically a lightly defended bridge over the Rhine, they were under orders to take any bridge that they could and get across the Rhine because General Patton, God bless him, wanted to urinate in the Rhine as soon as he could and beat Montgomery. Um, But I would love to see uh, military senior leaders uh, making a decision to take that bridge. They would have to have a decision support template matrix. They would have to have a couple command and staff meetings. Um, They would worry about uh, how possibly a seizure of the bridge across the Rhine might affect their OER officer evaluation report. And God help us, would they be able to find a couple guys that could actually sprint across the bridge without collapsing? Because we wouldn't want to do any physical training in the Army in 2017. Which leads me to the topic for today, the rise and fall of the U.S. Army. And like I said at the, uh, the uh, flagship broadcast of U.S. Defense Watch Radio, it always won't just be me talking here. Next week, um, we're going to have the Desert Storm Roundtable with several people that were involved in Desert Storm, including Major General Jack Lady, the J-2 during the Gulf War, a man who can tell you all about General Norman Schwarzkopf. Hank Hunt will be back on, this time talking about Army aviation. Well, Hank was a special in Special Forces for a long time. He also was a Cobra pilot in the 7th Calvary in Desert Storm. The guy did a lot of stuff. He's always uh, – anytime you have Hank on, it's an exciting time. Another show we're going to have coming up in the next week is we're going to be talking about what really happened down at Fort Benning the graduation of those three women, I believe dishonestly, from Ranger School about a year and a half ago, and our guest is going to be retired Master Sergeant Bubba Moore, a veteran of the 75th Ranger Regiment and a former Ranger instructor. Bubba knows, has a lot of contacts in the Ranger community, and he will give you this straight story on what happened, and let me tell you something. I know it was a cover-up, and Major General Scott Miller, you know it was a cover-up too, don't you? There's a guy who you know, a Shakespearean tragic figure himself. General Miller was a um, was in the Battle of Mogadishu, a member of Delta Force, as a young guy, and he was commander at Benning when the whole fiasco occurred with the graduation of the three women from Ranger School. But that's a story for another day. And let's get into the subject for today: the rise and fall of the U.S. Army. When the army When the army left Vietnam, the U.S. Main, most of the forces pulled out in 1972. A draft ended, I believe, in 1973. The army was in bad shape, just like the country. Uh, the morale was low. The army had a lot of problems. Anybody has seen the, uh, and you can look at it on the internet. It's a great documentary. And actually, the uh, the guy who was the journalist out in the field, John Lawrence, uh, won an Emmy. It's called The World of Charlie Company. If you Google that on YouTube, and John Lawrence travels with the, um, I think it's, I can't remember if it's first or second battalion of the Seventh Cavalry. In 1970 in Vietnam. And you can see the beginnings of the erosion of morale and and esprit de corps, even in a unit like the 7th Cavalry in 1970. You had guys, their hair is a little bit long. You got the guys with the peace signs. Nobody really, obviously, nobody wants to be there. Um, you know, nobody really wants to take orders, although they have to. They don't like the, what the decisions the commander is making, and the commander is making some stupid decisions, like walking down a road. Nothing can happen to you when you walk down a road in Vietnam or a trail that's heavily marked. Nothing at all. Nobody will be waiting for you. But um, I, if anybody wants to, you know, really sort of get a picture in one hour of what Army had become during the early '70s, it, that, it's a really a great documentary. It's all over the. Um, the world of Charlie Company by John Lawrence, and you can see some of these morale problems, and you can see, and, and uh, you know, you don't see the drug use, but you can tell. Obviously, I mean, uh, a lot of people were were uh, into drugs by then that were in the military. It was really becoming a big problem in the military. The military had a lot of draftees. One, they did not want to be there as we wound down in Vietnam. The army had incredible morale, but I had a lot of racial problems too. Uh, I heard a lot of stories when I was over in Germany from. Guys who were lieutenant colonels or majors have been in the Army or sergeant majors, master sergeant, have been in the Army a long time, been over in Germany uh, in the early 70s, maybe after a tour in Vietnam. And they talked about the the, the the racial tensions and how if you were a staff duty officer in Germany in the early 70s, you know, you'd walk around with a loaded pistol when you're, you know, just checking in the barracks, checking in the, CQ, the CQs, make sure everything was okay. You know, and you flash forward to late 80s. You know, here I am as a staff duty officer. Um, You know, when I checked the barracks, I wasn't armed. I didn't even have a weapon. Okay. And, you know, they're sitting there with the African-American NCO or we're deciding what movie we were going to watch for a couple hours. You know, while we're having some popcorn in the office. So the Army really, you know, really rose spectacularly after that. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So the Army comes out of Vietnam. It's got morale problems. And... You know the the American. One of the problems, the reason the army had such morale problems, is the American public did not treat U.S. Army, the military, very well. As we all know, uh, during later part of the Vietnam War and after it was over with, they took out all their fury. The anger should have been at guys like you know in in D.C., not the soldiers fighting the war. The soldiers that fought the war had performed magnificently, and to General MacArthur had drained deep the chalice of courage. You know, And they, did, they did really did not get their, their uh, reverence or what would be the word, their adulation until 20 years later after the Gulf War was over with. The American public, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't appreciate the sacrifices that these guys made. And uh, just a quick note on another video that's great. It's from the old Walter Cronkite Vietnam series. It's called Courage Under Fire. If anybody who's young wants to know what kind of courage it took to fight that war, watch this video. Watch this video. It's called Courage Under Fire, uh, Walter Cronkite. It's the old 80s series, the Vietnam uh, War series with Walter Cronkite. And there's a lot of – anybody that's listening that's younger that wasn't actually there wants to know what, what went on there. Some of the footage that uh, that they had there was was spectacular. And so the, so you have the American public who – hated the military at this time and, and and in turn their 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 fury like i said at the war on the military well it, it got to the troops after a while if you know that your countrymen don't support you you know even just u.s army units that were there in you know peacetime over in germany or in, in the united states that led to a lot of the morale problems plus the draftees that that just wanted to get the heck out of the military you had the drug users the crooks the you know the gangbangers that were in you know in the military at the time, and luckily, the military though at the time, yes it had the feather merchants and perfume princes in the Pentagon that you know David Hackworth went to war with you know and he talks about it in his spectacular book about face, but for the most part the senior leadership of the U.S. military post Vietnam coming right out of Vietnam in the early seventies was much stronger than anything you're going to see today. Like I've said, I wouldn't follow 99% of these guys that are leaders in the military right now into water. I really wouldn't. You know, it's just, and why do I say that? Just look around, look at the stuff that they've allowed to happen. If they were real leaders, they wouldn't allow it to happen. Somebody would have the moral courage to say something. And that's why I think those guys that, and I believe it's a group of people that wrote that letter down at Fort Bragg, those guys are heroes. OK, they had the guts to say something. You know who you are. You're heroes. And I believe that a lot of people um, that serve believe they're heroes, too. And of course, the army, what are they doing? They're going after them. They don't want to fix to face the reality that they're, they're destroying special forces. They want to go after the guys who wrote the letter. So it's 1972 or 73 in the army. And what does the army do? The they, first thing they did is they got rid of. They realized that the problem in the military, for the most part at the time, was on the lower end—the lower enlisted guys, the draftees that didn't want to be there. You know, the guy that was the private or the specialist, or maybe even the buck sergeant that was, you know, running a you know, uh, operation or some you know drug dealing operation. They got rid of all those people. They flushed them all out. Colin Powell also talks about that in his autobiography as well. Another great book to read if you want to know how the U.S. military was rebuilt. In the early in middle 1970s into the 80s, was the book that uh, General Fred Franks, the commander of Seventh Corps in the Gulf War, wrote with the late Tom Clancy called Into the Storm. is truly a a great a great book um, in, in in the sense that it, it talks about in detail how the army was rebuilt. And the army had leaders that saw that to rebuild the army, they had to maintain. The traditions of the service. Who am I talking about? People like Bill Dupuy, Shai Meyer, Don Starr, who was actually Fred Franks' commander in the 11th ACR in 1970 in Cambodia when Franks had his uh, leg blown off. Glenn Otis, um, Dick Cavazos. Actually, General Dick Cavazos um, just passed away about, uh, about two or three weeks ago. He was a great guy. And I've got a funny story if you want to listen to about how I met General Cavasso. So it was 1992, a field exercise, Friedberg, Germany, temperature about zero degrees out. Uh, I was in the uh, CP or the, the talk. Uh, I was told to take charge. I was the only officer. There. there was a couple other people. I was told that there was a man that was coming to deliver the porta potties. About two minutes later. A gentleman walks in in his 60s he has got a John Deere hat on and one of those kind of those broke back mountain jackets, you know, the Levi's with the fur collar. I thought, well, it's some retired NCO who's working for the Army delivering the porta potties. And I said to him, I said, you've got to you've got to be the porta potty delivery man. I'll tell you where to put him. And he looked at me. and He said, son, I'm General Dick Cavazos. <laughs> and uh he was cool, even uh, even though I had, you know, I was graduated it took me about 10 minutes to take my foot out of my mouth, but I uh, poured him a cup of coffee and I told him what was going on, and he was an evaluator out there on that exercise, and he he was in the, uh, actually at the time, it was 1-1 CAV, first squadron first cavalry, command post, in and out for the next week. During that exercise, the high temperature was five degrees. So you had guys like Dick Cavazos, who... You know, Cavazos had fought in Korea. All these guys had fought in Korea and Vietnam. There were a few guys left that had fought in World War II at the time as well. And they knew what needed to be done to fix the military. Yes, the military had bozo generals too in the Pentagon. But for the most part, the problem was not at the top. It was at the bottom. The army right now is a fish rotting from the head because the leadership is worthless. And I, I, I hate to say it, even you know the Marines who have kind of fought this PC monster the most—they have problems too. Okay, look at General Dunford. You know he pretty much rolled over. Why didn't Dunford fight for that $36 million Marine Corps study? They spent $36 million on it. He didn't. He rolled over when Ray Mabus said we were just going to ignore it. It basically proved what humanity's known for. 20,000 years that men are stronger and all male units are going to perform better in simulated combat tasks or real combat than co-ed units or female units. Dunford did, not, did nothing, fighting Joe. He's still around. He's not a bad guy, but he didn't do anything. You know, And that's what I'm talking about, moral courage, moral courage lacking. Okay? What if Dunford really would have re- just made some press conference speech re- and, and said, I'm done, and this is why I'm done, but he didn't want to. And then you have General Mattis, which is a different story in itself. So you had guys like Don Starry and Shai Meyer and Glenn Otis, as I said, and Dick Cavazos. Uh, you had General Creighton Abrams, the hero of – well, one of the many, many heroes of the Battle of the Bulge, who led the task force into Bastogne to rescue the 101st Airborne. I know the 101st Airborne at the time said that they didn't need to be rescued by any tankers. They were doing a pretty good job of stopping the Germans themselves. Although the 101st Airborne actually had a little bit more firepower behind them than just a bunch of um, grunts, they had um, they had some artillery and some anti-tank stuff as well. But that's a story for another day. So you had guys like uh, Creighton names, another guy Max Thurman, who rebuilt the mil- helped rebuild the military. So wh- what did they do? They flushed out the duds on the bottom, and then they 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 they, they decided that they they realized that we were way behind. If we had to go to war with the Soviets, if they actually tried to move into West Germany, we had the nuclear umbrella. Everybody knew it on both sides. In in some ways, it was a Mexican standoff, but they – and we still need a deterrence factor with modern equipment. In the early mid-70s, we had old equipment. If we would have had to go to war with the Soviet Union on the plains of northern Germany and in the hills of central Germany, it would have eventually gone into a nuclear exchange because we would not have been able to hold them off. Our tank, the, you know, the M60 tank at the time was just obsolete. We had our scouts running around in 113s, um, and the Cobra was 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 basically becoming very obsolete at the time. Our air defense stuff was obsolete, and so what they did with the Pentagon and one of the guys who was behind one of the programs, they called it the Big Five. Uh, was William Perry was a Secretary of Defense under Clinton. In some ways, he he rolled over on some of the stuff that was sort of the beginnings of the PC stuff that we're seeing today. But Perry uh, was, was one of the guys behind the Big Five program, so big kudos to him for what he did to help out with that. The Big Five, if I remember, is the Apache Helicopter, the M1 tank, the Bradley, which is used by mechanized infantry and uh, armored cavalry scouts, the Patriot Air Defense System. I can't remember the fifth one off the top of my head. It was either the Chaparral or if it was the uh, MRS multiple launch rocket system that was used uh, along with everything else in the in the Gulf War 20 years later. So the Big Five actually was developed and started to be fielded in the late 1970s and sort of turned the tide in Western Europe for us as far as defense wise. We now our guys now had equipment that was now superior to what the Soviet Union, the Warsaw Pact could throw against us if we had to go up against them in a war. They flushed out the duds. They've got the big five program. What else did they do? They had a heavy recruitment program. Everybody remembers those ads in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, with the be all you can be. Um, they wanted to recruit smart people, people they that wanted to maybe come into the military for two or three years and maybe get some college benefits. And once Reagan got in the office, you know, the, the recruitment in the military just skyrocketed patriotism was back the military was back there they had a lot of money going in and another thing that that these guys these i call them the they're sort of the 1970s founding fathers of the military as far as the rebirth of the rise the fall the uh, rise of the u.s army was the was the was the birth of airland battle doctrine which was used in the gulf war airland battle doctrine basically is is just a modern form of blitzkrieg you know massive armored assault followed by Air support, you get behind the enemy, get into their rear, cause chaos, and just hit them hard. And that's basically, uh, in a nutshell, the easiest way to explain it. It was sort of a 1970s version, taking the old German blitzkrieg and turn it into the, uh, the, the doctrine of warfare that we used in 1991. That was actually totally abandoned almost during the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. When we come back on U.S. Defense Watch Radio, we'll keep talking about the rise and fall of the U.S. Army. We talked about how the Army was just rebuilt and summarized that. We'll talk about uh, what happened during Desert Storm and the subsequent fall, the position the Army is at right now. And we'll be right back on U.S. Defense Watch. We're back on U.S. Defense Watch Radio. It's 1230 in Los Angeles, California. This is Ray Starman, your host on U.S. Defense Watch Radio. I'm also the editor and the founder of usdefensewatch.com, a site that's been around for about two years. If anybody is interested in actually the how, how uh, U.S. Defense Watch was founded, um, I, think, I don't think I ever really explained it. I used to work for a guy named Colonel David Hackworth. Every, a lot of people know David Hackworth. He was a controversial figure. Hack had a website uh, around uh, the early 2000s late 90s um, called Soldiers for the Truth, and it was also known as Defense Watch. Well, that's pretty much folded up after uh, Colonel Hackworth passed away in 2005 from cancer It was probably caused from his exposure to Agent Orange uh, during his tours in Vietnam. Um, in about uh, 2015, I think I just looked, uh, looked around one day and thought to myself, you know, there's really nothing – in the news nothing out there on the internet there's no one really criticizing or evaluating what the military is doing sort of with a politically incorrect honest bent the way it used to be when when hack was around and that's why i started uh u.s defense watch of course uh, u.s defense watch is a little bit different than sftt.org or the original defense watch uh that was pretty much uh you know pretty much nuts and bolts um complete military stuff we do Talk a little bit about ticks with a conservative viewpoint. Also stuff that's going on in Europe with the um, forced Islamization of Western Europe. And the I call it the suicide, uh, the strange death of uh, Western Europe. That's upon us. That was actually a book that's out right now. It's very good on Amazon, Strange Death of Europe. So we talk about a little bit of different things, but uh, a lot of the focus is still the same of what what Hack uh, originally was doing is just going after the feather merchants the perfume princes and if you know if that man was alive today he was pulling his hair out in the 90s about the stuff going on um he would probably you know just be having a heart attack right now watching all the all the all the insanity that's prevailing it's prevailing too it is winning it is winning the country is losing to this uh, the PC monster is overwhelming us because, like I said, our senior leaders do not have the moral courage to take it on. We'll continue our discussion of the rise and fall of the U.S. Army. So by the uh, by the mid late 1980s, the Army was at the point where it was almost literally successfully rebuilt from its dark days in the early 1970s, and it was rebuilt completely, almost completely, by the guys who had served in Vietnam and vowed that the military vowed one they were going to stay in to and ma- two that the military would be rebuilt and if we ever had to go to war again we would never go to war with one hand tied behind our back and we would go in decisively and come out of there quickly uh general franks once again was a commander of the 7th corps in the gulf war i heard him personally talk several times he called it about the hot blue flame that burned within and i think that's a, a great metaphor for the hot blue flame that burned and all the Vietnam veterans that were on active duty at the time. And that were the mentors of my generation, uh, my generation, which has taken that great uh, leadership and those great mentors and, and the knowledge that they gave us and has basically just plundered it all because they're too worried about their paychecks, their PX benefits, and their TRICARE card or whatever, or benefits when they get out of the military and that, that that that's one of the saddest things of all. And so you had the uh, the rebirth of the US army culminated in the 100-hour uh, spectacular ground war. And actually the the air war 44 days in its entirety during Desert Storm. You saw the uh, the, the 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 US military in action a military that had a lot of money is the military that had great senior leadership and also was a military that most importantly had great soldiers. Uh, airmen, Marines, sailors, guys that had joined up, just, they wanted to serve. They saw, you know, the patriotism that was going through the country under Reagan. They saw that there was a lot of benefits, but they wanted to do something. They wanted to be part of it. The energy was high. They wanted to be, yeah, everybody wants to be on a winning team, you know, and the, I would say that the military at this time in the late eighties, you know, it was like the, the Dallas Cowboys in the seventies under Roger Staubach. You know, It was just a winning team, and everybody wanted to be part of it, and it culminated in the spectacular victory in Desert Storm. Um, And in a lot of ways, the lessons of Desert Storm, did the military do everything good in Desert Storm? No, that we made a lot of mistakes, but we did a lot of good things. Did Schwarzkopf do everything good? No, he made some mistakes, but overall, I would give the man an A. I'd give the U.S. military an A, even though we did make a few mistakes. But largely, the, the lessons of Desert Storm are largely forgotten by the U.S. military. And the American public has is, has forgotten it completely. In some ways, the uh, Desert Storm is sort of the new forgotten war, like Korea was um, in the 1950s. Public just you know was was still exhausted from World War II, and then we got into Korea, another war, brutal, and uh, people just wanted to put it behind them. So we had the spectacular victory in Desert Storm. We come out of that, and I I talk about how the air was sucked out of the military at this time. And I think that's really an apt description. What happened was we, we have this spectacular victory. And first of all, a lot of the units that had fought in Desert Storm, like my units, a lot of the people in that unit had been there already for two or three years. A lot of them had been held there. They were supposed, they were already supposed to be gone, gone to another unit or back to the United States, but they were held there um, to, to go to, to the war. All these units, all these people get back to their, to their bases. Guys are filtering out of the units. Um, and especially what was going on in Germany at the time, uh, the drawdown, the cold war was over. We didn't need 250,000 air force and army personnel in Germany anymore. It may have actually gone up to 300,000 at one time. What was the military doing? They were saying, Hey, if you've served about seven or eight years, on active duty, we'll give you a big check just to get out, you know, honorably discharged. Here's your 30, $35,000 check. Some people haven't got bigger checks than that. Uh, just please leave and go find something else to do. We don't need you anymore. So you had all those people leaving. This is sort of in the summer into the fall of 1991. Then you had all the guys that had rebuilt the military during the Vietnam, after Vietnam, who were still on active duty. Um. And they began to leave as well, slowly but surely. And so you had all this great leadership leaving, all these guys, all these people that had fought the war, all this knowledge that they had, that they, a lot of them had been in the military for some time, they left. And so the air was gradually sucked out, being sucked out of the military. And then what did you have? You had uh, Bill Clinton, who got in the office and took over. In January of 1993, and then that was really sort of the beginning of the PC stuff. It really was. So it was really the combination of the drawdown with the end of the Cold War, the Vietnam guys leaving, and the Clinton administration taking over. And as bad as the Clinton administration was, maybe they were, I would call them hostile to the military, but they did not have complete and total hatred towards it. I believe the Obama administration, many people did. It was pretty close, though. Um, As Richard Nixon said when he was still alive, I know this country has gone to hell when we've elected a draft dodger, a.k.a. William Jefferson Clinton. And so that was really the beginning you had in the early 90s. And I've talked before about Tailhook in 91 and uh, all the guys that were forced to leave out of that. It was just a massacre. Um, And basically you had a vacuum that developed where the warriors were leaving the military. There was nothing in there. And gradually, it began to be filled with careerists, perfume princes and princesses, and social justice warriors. And now we have, and then the, the last group of people that were really the fighters, you know, you still had some people that were around when the Iraq war started. You had that huge group of two, what was it, 200 senior officers in all branches that were flushed out during the Obama administration. And, uh, all, you know, my friends that were still on active duty said, that, you know, it's not a purge, Ray. It's not a purge. It's just two or three hundred people that are being forced to leave. Purge it all. Everything's fine. And another problem with the current generation that's leading the military now is this ridiculous um, trait to rationalize everything. No matter how bad it is, it's OK. It's OK. Don't worry about it. The guy that's driving the tank. He wants to wear dresses. That's fine. We'll make it happen. We'll put a square peg into a round hole. We'll make it happen. It's generation rationalization leading the way in the military now, and God help us all. And so what you had is you had gradually had the warriors leaving the military over, over a 20-year period. Um, as I said, you still had some people around in the Iraq war. That was really the end of it. I mean, we still had some warriors there. The, the, the military fought some brutal battles. As people know, in Iraq and Afghanistan, Tel Afar in Afghanistan, Fallujah, Fallujah Two, in Iraq. Anybody seen that picture of the the Marlboro Man Marine out of Fallujah? I mean, that stuff was just was just brutal. But those guys left too. That was they were really the end. And so, what do we have now in the military? We have just a bunch of social justice warriors. The leadership is largely comprised of liberals and social justice warriors who are loyal more to the Obama way of thinking, the Ash Carter way of thinking. They don't like President Trump. They don't like General Mattis. And we've got big problems. And like I said, these soldiers coming in, they don't know any any better. If you're a young soldier in the military right now, you're like in a family that's dysfunctional. You don't know any better. You think that the, the craziness that's going on is normal. They don't realize how the military is supposed to function. And did the military do everything right when it was rebuilt in the mid '80s and the, at that time and late '80s? No, there were there were a lot of problems. Still, I mean, there were there were duds and idiots and drug. You know, they still had problems. But for the most part, it worked a lot better than it's working today because the military focused on fighting wars then, not on fulfilling a socialist, PC, feminist agenda. The military did not live to make people like Claire McCaskill and Kristen Gillibrand happy. Okay, and if you know, if you listen on YouTube, you go listen to that uh, that hearing where Mattis is being grilled by Gillibrand. I mean, I just want to pull my hair out. Why didn't he just tell her the truth? Why didn't he just tell her the truth and say, look, you know, it's not going to it's not going to work. Why don't you ruck up Senator Gillibrand and go go on a ruck march with the Rangers and see if you can hack it? Okay, and. Because the military has been gradually taken over at the leadership positions by these social justice warriors, it's allowed all this crazy – all the stuff I've written about, you know, the, the lactation memos and the pregnancy simulators, guys walking around in the red high heels, the open homosexuality, the, the, uh, the forced uh, white privilege uh, course training down in – I think it was down in Georgia, Fort Stewart, the – The Pentagon online classes at the Bible in the Declaration of Independence are sexist documents. It just goes on and on and on. It's all the crap that liberals believe, and liberals are running the military now. They're running the military. We come back on U.S. Defense Watch Radio after a short break. We'll talk about continuing the rise and fall of the U.S. Army and where it's all going from here. And we'll be right back on U.S. Defense Watch Radio. God, I actually pity those poor bastards we're going up against. By God, I do. We're not just going to shoot the bastards, we're going to cut out their living guts and use them to grease the treads of our tanks. We're going to murder those lousy Hun bastards by the bushel. Oh, boy. General Patton, can you imagine General Patton on active duty now? How long would a guy like that last? He was actually at war with the PC crowd in the 40s who didn't like the fact that he was talking poorly about our Russian allies. But uh, Patton would last about 3.2 seconds on active duty, along with General Norman Schwarzkopf, who wouldn't last too long, or Barry McCaffrey, to name a few. Um, I can see uh, you know, MSNBC and CNN just, 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 just going crazy. That that Patton had said that, uh, you know, General says he wants to kill the enemy. We can't have that. We can't have generals that actually are warriors anymore, can we? That uh, theme, of course, before General Patton was speaking, was from A Bridge Too Far, the 1977 movie by produced by Joseph Levine, actually written by William Goldman, who also wrote Butch Cassidy on the Sundance, in the Sundance Kid. Marathon Man, to name a few. Uh, I think Bridge Too Far is fitting. Metaphor for what happened there at Fort Fort Benning about a year and a half ago. Um, I would say that the graduation of Ranger School of a 37-year-old mommy of two probably was a bridge too far. But next week, Master Sergeant Bubba Moore from the 75th Ranger Regiment retired, and also he was a former Black Hat uh, instructor. He's going to tell us all the real story of what happened down there. He's got a lot of contacts in the ranger community. And uh, if you think that the uh, former rangers believe that those women actually graduated, honestly, uh, Bubba and I both have some swamp land down there in Georgia. We want to sell you. Okay. Anybody who's been to ranger school and I, I was not a ranger, but, um, I know that most guys lose 50, 60, 70 pounds. Even they look like they're dock survivors when they're done there. And yet those three women that graduated, they look like they, um, had eaten too much at thanksgiving well scrubbed i mean they just it was just a fiasco so that's what you had you had the and we're getting back to the rise and fall of the u.s army you had the you've had the complete infiltration of social justice warriors liberals into the military and you have these subsequent problems today there have always been sad sex and idiots and duds A sergeant major in Germany used to call duds blintgangers, which is the German word for a uh, dud. And uh, those GD blintgangers, he had a lot of other terms. He had a lot of other words he liked to say too. But, uh, you know, the military's always had duds, no matter what time frame. From the Revolutionary War, I'm sure Washington was going off at Valley Forge about the duds there. Okay. But, um, you know, I don't remember serving with people like second lieutenant spencer rapone you know spencer rapone he's the communist um who graduated from west point who's a proud communist an avowed communist a marxist leninist uh he advocates overthrowing the us government he called the secretary of defense a vile evil uh f ending in k that word okay um which is basically he should have, he should be out just for that um he <laughs> i mean he 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 was he was known at west point for being a communist but yet nothing happened to him why wasn't anything done about spencer rapone at west point i'm still trying to figure that out okay um you know and what's what's fascinating it just shows you the level of just indoctrination by the left into the military rapone has had people defending him that went to West point with him like, Oh yeah, that guy, that's the communist. Yeah. He's just the communist guy who wants to overthrow the U S government and the military. Yeah. Okay. We all knew he was a communist. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. It's, it's the new military. So what? I mean, that, that were actually real comments like that. Okay. Real comments like that. Um, but you had one of, uh, Rappone's instructors at the point, a guy named, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Robin Heffington, that wrote from his various online rantings and posts, it appears that Rapone is an avowed Marxist, which is completely out of line with the values of this nation and its army. This is what he wrote when a couple of years ago, when this when this sob was at West Point. Cadet Rapone's posts indicate that he hates West Point, the U.S. Army, and indeed this country. One post dated 16 November 2015 states, "F this country and its false freedom, false freedom." He also even implicitly justifies the action of ISIS and blames the United States for terrorist attacks. So we have a guy who is a second lieutenant who's currently on active duty. I checked with the nice people up there at the Fort Drum PAO office, PAO office a couple weeks ago. Nice people, but um, they wouldn't give me any answers. Maybe their lack of answers is showing. They said he's still on active duty. He's under investigation. Well, what is he doing right now? I asked the uh, The major, I can't remember his last name. I said, what is he doing? Is he policing cigarettes, you know, up? Is he walking around on police call 24 hours a day? Or is he still a platoon leader? Well, they won't tell me. Now, do you think anything's going to happen to Spencer Rappone in the United States Army in 2017? I'm telling you, they're going to do nothing to this guy, okay? Nothing. He's going to walk around flipping off and insulting the Secretary of Defense and his chain of command and vowing to... You know, turn the U.S. Army into the uh, Warsaw Pact if he has a chance. I mean, it's a disgrace, but he's a sign of the times. Another sign of the times, one of my uh, favorite traders of all time is Bradley, Chelsea, whatever the heck you want to call it, Manning. He's one of the biggest traders of all time and just, you know, gave uh, WikiLeaks just thousands and thousands and thousands of classified documents. Because he was upset that we were killing Bad guys in Iraq Wouldn't want to kill the enemy, it's only the army You know uh, and, and, and the thing about uh, Manning That's hilarious, okay So so he's a traitor, he gives all the Documents to WikiLeaks Then he decides he's going to be a woman Somewhere in the process when he was in prison uh, President Obama Our Kenyan commander in chief at the time He pardons him because he felt sorry for for Chelsea, now that's her name, or whatever. That uh, you know, she was served enough time, not enough time for committing treason. Lets her out, and uh, the army uh, finishes up the uh, gender reassignment surgery on your nickel as a taxpayer. Because if there's anything we want to spend our money on, it's gender reassignment surgery for a traitor. Another person who's a sign of the times is Reality Winner. Remember her? She is the uh, the former Air Force uh airman who was working in the intelligence community i believe she was working at the nsa uh, also a traitor as well and uh, anti-trump you know another one of these uh, members of quote the resistance the resistance another traitor hopefully she'll sit in a federal prison for about 50 years She can think about how much she dislikes uh, america in prison and then you have bo bergdahl you know the, the Bergdahl thing is you know not only is Bergdahl a deserter, but the other person that is just as almost equal in in the in my in my eyes is just a, a, a criminal is the is the uh, colonel that uh, that basically let him off Jeffrey Nance Bergdahl a deserter he goes over to the Taliban guys died looking for him other guys were wounded. He's at his court martial, and the colonel Jeffrey Nance lets him off because Nance is a the new breed of army warrior, lack of warrior, He's a social justice warrior, a liberal, Obama acolyte who hates Trump. And he just, you know, by 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 thumbing his nose at Trump, what he did is he basically let Bergdahl go. And uh, excuse me. And of course, Bergdahl's. Um, lawyer is appealing his dishonorable discharge because Bo needs those VA benefits. I'll tell you. And they're also that Bo Bergdahl, the last time I read it was a, about a, a month ago. It's still in this quote in the system. Uh, he's trying to get his back pay, hundreds of thousands of dollars in back pay. So, you know, the way things are going in 2017, he'll get his VA benefits for deserting. And he'll get his back pay. And who knows, he'll probably be a guest host on The View with Joy Behar, or maybe he'll be on MSNBC, or maybe he'll be sitting at the desk with Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon on CNN. And, you know, I I, I don't know. I I just I didn't know anybody like um, Reality Winner and Chelsea Manning and Spencer, Eric Honecker, Joseph Stalin, Rapone. When I was on active duty, okay, I didn't know anybody like Bo Bergdahl either. Oh, I guess the military's always had deserters, of course. But I would say that these people are a sign of the times. They're the times, and it just shows you not only that American society has problems, but the military, which in some ways is often a mirror of society in some aspects, has big problems. But the military is supposed to be different than society. It's not supposed to act like the civilian world because the mission of the military is different than the company that you work for that has the guy that thinks he's a girl in it and nobody cares. He's just the nut that you see over there at the water cooler who's wearing a dress today. But he's not impeding the mission of that company. He's still sitting in his cubicle, whatever he's supposed to do. But that doesn't work in the military. All these things. Throw off the warrior spirit, which I talked about in an earlier program. It's all a big distraction, and it's all being allowed to happen because the army has fallen to such a level that it's being allowed. Can you imagine a U.S. Army in the 80s or the 70s? Can you imagine it? Another great guy that I forgot to mention was was Kel Waller. Uh, Kel Waller. General Waller died of a heart attack in the 90s. He was a great guy, and he was sort of the 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 good cop in the war room in Riyadh when General Schwarzkopf would be blowing a gasket on somebody. Waller was sort of the peacemaker, the good cop uh, that people could rely on, and he was a great leader, a Vietnam vet. And sadly, he died too early. Uh, I, I cannot imagine a military run by Kel Waller allowing. All the stuff to be going on right now. I can't imagine a General Schwarzkopf allowing it, um, a, a Creighton Abrams allowing this kind of stuff to be going on. Um, I can't imagine a Shy Meyer, a Don Starry, a Max Thurman. I can't imagine any of these people allowing this stuff to happen. I can't imagine any anybody from that generation in, in the... A lot of people say, oh, well, you know, it's just another old vet talking about how great the military used to be. The military had, has always had problems, but it was always able, is usually able to function and function a lot better. The problem, the reason it's having so many problems now is because it's, it has so many distractions. It's all a big distraction. And now, as I've said in the last show with the special forces stuff going on, it's not just a distraction. It's, become, it's now endangering our national security. And who has the balls to say, you know what, we're not going to allow women in the special forces because they can't hack it. We don't care if there's one woman that shows up every 10 years that it could actually do it, and there's probably somebody out there that can do it. What's the point, though? Nobody has the balls to say anything. General Mattis, the Mad Dog, the Mad Dog, with his PX haircut and his fifteen thousand volume library, is sitting there being cowed by, you know, Senator Kristen Gillibrand. If I'm upstate New York, I'm a soccer mom, and I want women in the Marine Infantry. I know it. I was there. I was served in Vietnam. You know, and you have this guy who who who's been in the, the Marines for, you know, it was the Marine Corps for what thirty some years. Okay, Fighting Joe, you know, and the other guy had been in the Marines forever. You know, these guys are not idiots. But they sit there and just get rolled over by these these liberal fools, and now we're at the point we have reached i i'm I'm almost at the point of saying we've reached rock we're getting to the point of rock bottom, okay Where is the bottom of the abyss? We're getting close. Can an abyss have a bottom? We're almost there we're heading there. We're heading there, probably when you see you know twenty five women parading in their little green berets. And you know that there's no physical standard. That's probably the bottom. Maybe if you see, you know, just wait till the Navy SEALs go under. And uh, <laughs> that's going to happen. The SEALs, you know, they can say, oh, well, you know, none of them are going to make it, and none of them can make. I mean, I guess there could be some woman that could make it every, you know, if you found somebody every ten years. But what's the point, other than placating the fools that are in Congress? The U.S. military used to have a, an ally in John McCain, but he's sick and he's just gone over to the dark side let's just leave it at that i don't want to say anything more about him um and uh, i wish him well because i know he's sick but um he used to be sort of the the buffer zone and the buffer zone is gone right now right now so join us on monday christmas day u.s defense watch for our program what's mary about all this where I'll talk about the brilliant stand of the 101st Airborne in World War II and also what's merry about this, all the great things President Trump has done. Will you join me next time on U.S. Defense Watch? Leaving you now with the words of General Patton. For over a thousand years, Roman conquerors returning from the wars enjoyed the honor of a triumph, a tumultuous parade. In the procession, came trumpeters and musicians and strange animals from the conquered territories, together with carts laden with treasure and captured armaments. The conqueror rode in a triumphal chariot, the dazed prisoners walking in chains before him. Sometimes his children, robed in white, stood with him in the chariot or rode the trace horses. A slave stood behind the conqueror holding a golden crown and whispering in his ear a warning that all glory is fleeting. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen The Bride and Groom?